welcome to the Classroom in Your Living Room podcast. I am acting as your host. My name is Trisha Murphy, and I serve as the Development Director within the College of Education at MTSU. Now, this is a, a fun opportunity for us to connect with so many of our alumni and friends, and we know that so many of us are finding ourselves at home with children, juggling responsibilities, and yet still wanting to ensure that our students and our, our children are moving forward. We are so excited to be here today with Dr. Kevin Cranbuell, who is serving as the program director of the Assessment, Learning, and School Improvement EDD program here within the College of Education. Kevin, that's quite the title. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on there. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I am so excited to have Kevin with us today because we're going to talk about the important um, shift that we've we've all been feeling as we have been home with our kids and trying to work many of us um, but trying to to thrive instead of just survive right dr. Cramble absolutely I think we're all struggling to try to move that way if we can that's right that's right well just to start us off here today you know I think that so many of us are really thrown into this new environment and a lot of us are feeling like we have overnight We've, we've had to become over, um, overnight homeschool experts. And I'd love for you, if you might, just to tell us a little bit about what, what are we being thrown into right now? Um, how is this different maybe than homeschooling? That, that's a really good question. And actually, I think it's, it's one of the most weird things about all of this and that really we're making it up as we go. This is really uncharted territory. And so for parents or uh, anyone dealing with their kids at home and thrown into this other school setting, we're all kind of figuring out what on earth does this look like? And schools are having that same question. So I think that it is important to start off, though, by distinguishing some of this. And so I think it's helpful for parents who don't feel obligated to say, I am now homeschooling my child. Um, hopefully, you, you can leverage and interact with your teachers and get some resources. But we, you're not putting the time into it that a lot of homeschooling parents do, where they spend thousands of dollars and a lot of hour, um, hours planning and accumulating materials. And most of us are not equipped to do that right now. So what we have to do is react in the moment as best we can. So we can draw some ideas from what the homeschool crowd does. We can also draw some ideas from our, our um, colleagues in the schools and the teachers who are out there trying to build materials and also trying to figure things out. So I think it's helpful to note that really no one should be feeling like they're obligated as a, a parent now to become a homeschooler. Um, and also at the same time, we don't want to just ignore everything. I think we will all want to do something about um, trying to push education of our child as best we can. And uh, that's, that's, where we're, that's where we're all trying to figure out right now. It's the great space we're living in. That is exactly, that's exactly right. And, you know, even in my, my friend circles who folks have elementary age students, folks have toddlers like I do, and we're all kind of talking about what sort of routine do we keep right now? What, what does that look like? Should we have a routine? Would you mind explaining a little bit more of your expertise on that? Sure. So um, in terms of the routines, I, I think that just speaking as a, as a, from the psychology background there, the routines matter. They make a great deal for us. And all of us are now thrown into this bizarre scenario where we live off routines and now all of them are over, overhauled. And we have to make do with something new. So I think for the time being, it would definitely be ideal for us to build some sort of routine at home, uh, some sort of routine for us uh, in our own sanity, but also for our kids and to help kind of have some sort of 
consistency for them. And so things that come to mind in terms of these routines, I wouldn't sit there and say, well, they typically went to school from eight to three, therefore I'll do the same thing. No, that, that's kind of silly. But instead, looking for specific things like having a routine that uh, there's a certain place that you go to do your work. Um, and that's probably not your bedroom. It's probably not in front of the TV. It's probably not even with your phone nearby unless you're using that for a resource. You want to find a workplace that is free from distractions. And that'd be for you, obviously, but also for your kids. Um, I, I think it'd be worthwhile to have some sort of routine where if, if you're trying to do any formal lessons or if you're um, having your kids do some reading on their own, there have them just jot down some takeaways at the end of it. So you have some just basic routines that have some sort of normal, this is the how we're going to operate in this kind of weird time. Um, and then I think it's helpful that we build some of the routines where we're all in this together. So uh, for me and my family here, if, uh, if the kids are now all of a sudden in a weird schedule, um, if I'm doing some work during this time, I think I'll probably build some specific times where they're doing work at the same time as me. So we're all kind of in this together and they can feel a little less thrown into a fire, but kind of like, at least established to some extent a sense of normalcy in our house yes and i love that and and i have to believe that it is good for our, our kids to see us working and engaged in work and, and working hard i have to believe that that is a good example for them absolutely well those are great great tips as we think about what a routine might be you know i found myself um and i know that this probably hasn't happened to you the the night before I want to teach this lesson to my my almost four year old, and you know, of course, this is going to be an earth shattering lesson that's going to really be more clear all the way to Harvard. Um, but we we want to, to plan these lessons kind of uh, spur of the moment. So, what what do you have to say about taking that time to to plan out these activities? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the things that's going to be hardest for us because since we're all of a sudden now thrown into this unknown, the first reaction is to make it look like, well, what we need to do is just do something right now. And my general response to most things is actually that the best approach isn't just to jump in and try to apply whatever we do or don't know well right now, but actually to slow down. And so I, I think that planning is worthwhile. If you're thinking of building a routine for you and your kids, I wouldn't say at 10 o'clock at night, all right, here's our plan for tomorrow and goal with it. I might say, you know what, we're going to take the next two days and the kids are going to establish some just basic routines and let them do their stuff. But if I want to have some sort of formalized learning experience in my house, I would slow down and take a day or so and actually try to assemble what is it I want to accomplish? What resources do I have? Are there people who I can reach out to? Could I email the teacher and see if they have specific suggestions? Um, and uh, there's resources we might be able to provide if you shoot out an email to us at MTSU. Uh, shoot me an email. I can help with that. But take a little bit of time and uh, plan to kind of map out where you think you're going. So that way you have some sort of intentional aim rather than just going about it in an ad hoc manner. And I think that if you take a day or so and plan, you're going to find that things will fall into place a lot better than just jumping in and figuring it out as you go. Absolutely. I, yes, I am sure. That, that's such a good tip. Thank you. You know, reading is something that we know that we should do with our kids. Um, how do we how do we go about reading intentionally during this time? Yeah, so that's another great question. I think it's one of the ones that uh, is so crucial and so easy for us to capitalize on without realizing that all of us have at our disposal a whole bunch of books. Now, we may not have a personal library at home, but most of us have books to some extent. And we probably have some that are geared for kids. We might even have some that uh, maybe are more historical. We can draw in some of our subjects if we have ones of our personal interests uh, that we have. But 
having time every day dedicated for reading out loud is well worth it, whether you're talking about younger kids or older kids. Um, so I think this could be applied really across the spectrum. Uh, in an ideal scenario, I would try to pick specific books, um, but obviously, you know, we, we have we have it at our home. Most stores are closed down. We can try to ship from Amazon, but it seems like they're slowing things down. So really, I'd try to look at what you have in your home and see what can I leverage for some opportunities to read right now together and actually go through this. And again, showing that we're learning this new um, environment with one another. And again, read, to me, reading out loud is one of the best ways to do that. So most of, uh, most of us, the vast majority of parents who are now in this scenario are not trained to be teachers. And I don't think that you need to be fully trained to be a teacher to guide a read aloud very um, very effectively, really. And so if you were to go grab any nonfiction book that you have at home or fiction book, um, and obviously we can talk about why, which ones would be more important to pick or whatever not, but I would guide your teacher's guide there, or at least just have a chance to pick some sort of fiction book that's of interest to the family. And just read for maybe, uh, depending upon how old your kids are, uh, a general guideline is if you just read for an extended period of time, it's good to have pauses in there and do a quick little stop for Q&A. And a general guideline is that the attention span a child has is about their age. Their age. So a six-year-old can go about six minutes with nothing going on except that, and they're probably going to start to lose their attention span. That's not real uh, solid, but it's, it's a good baseline. But that caps out at about 15 minutes. And so whatever your age of student, uh, kid you're working with, have some, uh, some read-aloud time where you just read out loud for any, whatever their age is, 10, 15 minutes, and then pause. And you don't, again, need to have any great scripted questions. It'd be awesome if you could, but I don't see that as real likely. So you can just use a page out of uh, Rudyard Kipling's uh, book there. Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called The Elephant's Child. And in it, um, one of the lines says there, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Those questions are ones that we all know. And just pausing at the end of that little 10-minute segment of reading and just asking a question about what just happened here? Who's involved? Where and when did this take place? You don't need to be uh, an expert to ask those sorts of questions, but it can steer a good conversation and force us to really think about the reading. Uh, and I think develop a good, healthy uh, literary critic, I guess, so to speak. Um, and obviously, if you can tap it for not the content knowledge, it's even better, but who knows if we have those books at hand. So that would be how I'd go about this. And I would definitely allocate some reading time every day out loud, no matter how old my kids are. Oh, I love that. Well, and again, my son almost being four, it's it's amazing to see how this can apply to him. And it could also apply to folks I know who have 16-year-olds at home. Mm -hmm. I totally think that it can. I think largely a lot of us have chosen to say, well, once they can read independently, we should let them. I don't think that's right. I think that's well worth our while. And there's actually some empirical studies that suggest that reading out loud to high schoolers can have a positive impact because, um, uh, anyway, there's we won't go into the whole research, but it's worth our while no matter what age it is. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, you know, a lot of my, my friends are becoming experts overnight in economics and history and geography. <laughs> they are not. But how in the world do they go about these practices and processes that they might not know about? Yes, that's a great, another great question. And again, and I, I think another one of those where we're often trapped into thinking that we need to be the expert in the room. And the truth of the matter is expertise takes a long time to develop. So I think a better approach is to say, look, we're not going to be an expert, but what we can do is maybe find what are some of those common things that are done in those areas. And we can just kind of push and nudge people to think about those. And so when you think of history, 
Um, a historian is an expert in a large specific field, and usually it's very narrow and specified. So it's you know the Ming Dynasty in ancient China or something along the lines, and that's very that, that's not something we're going to develop overnight. But broadly, we can think about what is it history does. Well, history kind of tracks and traces major events over time. How do they decide which major events are? Well, they look at significance. They look at cause and consequence. Um, they look at uh, trying to understand historical events in its context. And so we don't need to be an expert to know all those things, but instead we can kind of have um, focus on them. And so rather than trying to be an expert in all these areas, maybe we could find some different resources. There's lots of information available online. Um, and again, I'll, I'll exercise some caution about going too much with electronic devices, but you can leverage those resources for a great deal of uh, um, help with that regard. So you can get some content there, but you can ask some questions about, so this happened and then this happened. What do you think that uh, led to that there? Why does that matter? A good example, um, I'll pull in right here from social studies, is right now in this coronavirus, COVID-19, bizarre uh, environment that we're living in, we're living a historical event. This is going to be something that is going to be uh, written in our history books. That's pretty interesting. We're living history right now. Not necessarily because the death toll of COVID-19 is going to be equivalent to uh, past historical epidemics. So like if you think of like the Black Death, where one third of the population of Europe was wiped out and uh, 30 years, or the Spanish flu where tens of millions died around the globe in, in uh, 100 years ago. Um, these sorts of epidemics had bigger scale in terms of death toll, at least it appears that's going to be the case. But we have some radical changes of ours in that this, uh, the reaction has been dramatically different. There has never been a societal reaction to an epidemic like this. And so that's going to be huge, uh, lead to huge ramifications and just good opportunities for us to talk about it. So while we're not going to talk about the history of COVID-19, because that's not going to be known for years from now, we can start to think about the implications economically. What does it mean that a society chooses to just stop its economy? I and mean, this is really interesting and, again, unheard of, <laughs> largely. Um, and so there's huge significance, even if that significance is different. And we can have conversations about that, whether we're experts or not in it. Um, and that's a way we can bring some of that in and have some good conversations. Into those. Yes, I, I, I love that idea. And I think that when we are able to, to really dissect these lessons into more bite-sized, applicable to today kind of conversations, then, you know, those are things that kids will remember as well. Absolutely. We can certainly take advantage of it because at least we all share a common understanding of it where that's not the case if we try to all of a sudden pretend we're an expert in something we're not. <laughs> so operate on what we do know and have conversations about it and be comfortable with leaving it as maybe that's what it is. But having the conversation is worth the while. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Cranbuehl, I know that your background specializes in social studies. Um, and how would you define that? In, in terms of topic or discipline? Sure, that, that's a great question. It's actually one that we struggle with a lot. Uh, my primary area would be history within the social studies, but broadly speaking, um, over the past hundred years, social studies has become the uh, catch-all phrase for the different areas that people think of as history, geography, economics, and government. Those are kind of the ma major ones. There's other ones that have been lumped into it, but it's really the, society, uh, the study of people and their interaction. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Well, do you have any um, tangible resources that we might be able to give to those who have young young students at home, as well as those who maybe are trying to to teach high school economics? 
Absolutely. So look, why don't we take it one at a time? Let's talk specifically about younger students first. I'll just try to give a couple of examples of things that we could use um, broadly speaking about social studies. And so, uh, as I've already said a couple of times, I'm a little cautious and uh, skeptical of trying to go all in on leveraging screen time. And in fact, I encourage you to avoid screen time, but we can also leverage resources that are available on the internet and really use them to our advantage if we want to do some more formal lessons or just have the kids do something fun that will also be happening to lead to an economic or a geographic gain or a governmental gain. So I'll highlight a few different kind of apps that are available, some of which are free, some of which cost some money, but um, they're very easy, easily accessible. Kids can figure them out very quickly. And by playing a fun game, they'll get a little bit of information. It's not going to be uh, again, uh, as good as quality as having your teacher lead them in a class on government, but it'll have a chance to expose them to that. So a couple of apps I'd encourage would be uh, if you want to have some uh, economics uh, for your younger kids, there's an app called Motion Math Pizza. And Motion Math Pizza, what it is, is you operate your own little pizza shop and you've got to charge the price for your pizzas and people come in and they say, They'd like to buy five of this pizza and two of that pizza. And you've got to do the math in your head to answer it, to try to make money, and then go buy more resources. Uh, it's a really interesting, simple game that's not complicated to figure out, but it gets a whole bunch of math facts uh, for your kids to practice, and it does it in a fun way. So that's a great app. Another great app is one called Do I Have a Right? And it's from iCivics. And they've got a whole website with a bunch of different ones there. But Do I Have a Right is a really fun one where they will own their own little law um, a law firm and deal with constitutional rights. So it's kind of an interesting game where they'll come in and they'll hire different lawyers who specialize in the First Amendment or the Second Amendment. And as they're playing this game, they're being exposed to the Bill of Rights and uh, look, understanding how that's implications, what it has for us. So there are two fun games. And then there's two other ones, or not two other ones, but one other thing I think that's worth to look at too is a lot of us may have board games around and there's an old classic game called risk that's around which would be a great one to play with your family to do some geography knowing the different places around the globe is a hugely beneficial skill or um, my family we've got a board game that just happens to be very i guess um timely a uh, pandemic uh, and again another board game but here you play the team of a group of scientists and um experts trying to fight against the global pandemic, which is exactly what we're doing right now. So I think there's board games that we could take advantage of as well as some apps for our younger students and have some fun where they get a chance to learn um, some material while doing it in a fun way. And again, it's not a systematic dream scenario like a teacher, but that's not the goal I think that we should be looking at as parents. We should be trying to get as much as we can and make the most of this weird situation. So that's what I'd look at for the younger students. Um, I'll, I'll pause and see if you want to react and I can talk about the older students where actually like a lot of parallels will actually come from there. Sure, absolutely. Yes. I was pleased to find out that there is a new Oregon Trail. That's right. There's a variety. There's one called Oregon Settler, which you can get on an iPad or on Google uh, Android phones as well. And it's pretty good out there. So there, again, a whole bunch of different resources that I think are worth our while for our younger kids to have some fun and in doing so be exposed to material and that content knowledge is going to help them down the road. That's a huge barrier. Um, the number one predictor of students um, reading comprehension down the road after third grade is not these different skills. It's the knowledge that they come to the table with. So exposing our kids to knowledge, even if it's in an ad hoc way, is better than nothing. Yes. Oh, I like that. I like that. Well, for those, obviously, I'm a little bit biased in my own personal home for the younger students. But what about those who have older students? Again, in each of those disciplines, what, what can we take away? 
Absolutely. So actually, I think some of those will translate over right away. And so that, that app that I mentioned there, Do I Have a Right? That's certainly something it's, it's built in a way where a kid can play it in the upper elementary grades, but it'll certainly be appropriate for students in high school. Um, many of the students in high school, they're going to spend a lot more time looking at these. And so that's a great place to go. If you're looking for some more formal instruction to uh, give the students available. Khan Academy has thousands of miniature video lectures that are available on all sorts of topics. And obviously, then they'd have some for history, some geography, economics, government, uh, that have them for other domains as well. And they're largely pretty good. Um, so if you're looking for a more formal, specific approach to getting some instruction, that's a great resource that's available. And um, as, a, as a parent, you can go sign up and have your own free parent account and actually assign things. I don't know that I'd want to do that as a, as a parent, but I might say, hey, um, I'd like you to go watch a couple of videos on Cod Academy for history and then tell me orally, what did you learn from those? And so by having them watch it and actually narrate back to me what they've done, it gives a chance for retrieval and for me to confirm that something happened. Um, so that's another place that's out there. But I think we could also look broader. I mean, Google Earth has a phenomenal tools and avail uh, things available to it. You can explore the whole, um, world itself there. You could take a virtual tour of the Great Wall of China. There's a variety of things that are built into that um, system, which is available. Um, and then you could also just go the route of actually having some uh, time together and say, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and let's, we know we live in this highly uh, politically charged nature. Let's spend 30 minutes together watching the news tonight. Let's we'll spend 15 minutes watching Fox News, 15 minutes watching CNN. Let's talk about how they presented the, the same topics of the day. It'll be a really interesting conversation and just get a chance to kind of look at what we're living in and doing it in a way that makes social studies part of what they're being exposed to um, just by chance. And so I think it's a, those are a couple ways in which you could go about doing this. Um, and all of them I think would be helpful uh, for younger students and older students alike. So helpful. It, it is. So I'm just so grateful. And I know every time at the end of these podcasts, I feel so encouraged for our experts in the College of Education. So um, Dr. Cramble, I'm just so grateful for your time. Is, is there anything else that parents need to know um, in terms of tips and tricks around social studies education or just, just having um, to educate these young people that we love amidst a, a million other responsibilities? I guess the last thing I'd kind of give in closing is just remembering here that again, this no one should feel as if they're being pushed into being in the role of the teacher. That's true as a parent. We are the child's first teacher and probably their most important teacher they'll ever have. Um, but we're not being challenged with all that stuff. So in this weird scenario, I think it's uh, hopefully we can take some optimism and say, hey, this is just a chance for us to dive in and try out something that we haven't done in the past, but maybe do it with a little bit of purpose. Um, and we can leverage the resources that are available. We've got a lot more available today than it's been ever available any time in the past. So it uh, doesn't necessarily mean they're good, but at least there's more available that we can tap into and access and hopefully help our kids bridge this strange gap in their school experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you were kind to include a lot of really great practical resources today, and we'll be sure to link to those, those links as well at the end of the podcast and resources. But again, Dr. Cranbrill, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, it's been a, it's been a privilege. Thank you so much. Um, enjoyed the conversation. Well, I hope that you all are understanding a bit more about what we can do with our children at home um, and, and learning through these ways, but also breathing and giving ourselves lots of grace that we are 
we are simultaneously doing many roles. I invite you all to stay in touch with us online through our social media platforms by phone and of course email. Um, all of my information is on the website and as well as in the resources portion of this podcast. I'd love to hear from you and hear how these tips helped. Again, this is Trisha Murphy and you've been listening to the Classroom in Your Living Room podcast.